Hello, City First Church. I'm so, so glad that you're here today, whether in person or online. And before I jump into the message today, I really have some exciting news for, for us as a church family. Uh, you may know that in the month of March, the last four weeks, we have had an emphasis, a generosity emphasis, and we've been asking everyone to prayerfully consider giving a little bit more than what they normally do with the tithe and the offering, give more to two initiatives, one of them being the Women's Empowerment Initiative that we were going to kind of, in a sense, take up a collection, an offering, and, and send it through an organization to an under-resourced nation and be able to help women uh, with almost microfinancing so they could start their own businesses and break the cycle of poverty. And then, then also, on top of that, there was an unexpected war that we all know about that broke out in the Ukraine, and we also felt a, a burden to help to the degree that we can, the millions of refugees that are um, fleeing the nation and trying to find safety, leaving everything behind. And so what we decided to do is do these two initiatives in the last four weeks. And I am just proud to announce that once again, City First, you stepped up to bat and you hit a home run. So in the month of March, you gave $19,855 to Ukrainian Relief. And on top of that, you gave $43,601 to women's empowerment efforts all in the month of March. That is just, that is phenomenal, all right? So I just want to take a moment before we go on to another Super Bowl. Let's celebrate the victory we just had in the last Super Bowl, all right? One more time, let's give God praise because he's the one that deserves all of the honor and the glory for that. So thank you for being such a generous church. Well, today uh, I'm going to talk about a story out of Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up or open up the City First Church app. It's all there, uh, the notes, and you can actually take notes. Um, it's a really handy thing that, that we've created so that you can look at it later. Um, but anyway, in Luke chapter 5, it's a story that I really personally love. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I preach about it a lot. You, if you've been attending here in the last 15 years, you probably have heard me preach on it before. But it is a story about four men that help a paralyzed man come to Jesus. And it is just an amazing story. And you may have heard this story before, but even if you have, I want you to just kind of like kind of listen with fresh ears and see it with fresh eyes. And here's the reason why. I've read through the Bible multiple times in my life, but every time I read the Bible, God gives me a word for today because I need something different from the story than, than maybe a few years ago. Does that make sense? I need something different. I need a new revelation. So again, listen today, and I think you're going to get that, and you're going to see that in this series that we're calling Waiting for a Miracle, many of us need miracles, but... To maybe receive our miracle, we need to be a part of helping somebody else receive theirs. And that's the way that the kingdom of God works. It's a little counterintuitive. It's a little upside down. That when you have a need, when you help somebody else meet their need, God meets your need. Isn't that incredible? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're talking about how these four guys help this paralytic in his greatest need, you could say. Um, Jesus' fame at this portion of his ministry, in this stage of his ministry, is really beginning to gain momentum. And Jesus was not out for fame, but guess what? People were following him everywhere. You could say the, the paparazzi were after him. They were like literally following him all over the countryside, wherever he went. He would preach. He'd talk about parables. He would do miracles. 
And so he has now landed back into his hometown. Jesus, his home base was in a town called Capernaum. It's on the north side of Galilee. It's north of Jerusalem. That's where he basically lived or based out of. But also, he wasn't the only one. The apostle Peter had a home there also. Now, some theologians believe that possibly, you know, Peter had a home and had an extra room that Jesus stayed in. Some theologians believe that Jesus had his own house in Capernaum. We don't really know. But this story takes place in a house. And we don't know if this is Peter's house or Jesus' house, but it's a pretty incredible story. And so in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, we pick it up here. It says, one day, while Jesus was teaching some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law, these are two different categories of religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and also the teachers of the religious law, were sitting nearby. Now, these are not friends of Jesus, by the way. You read in the New Testament, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the religious law, all these different groups of religious people of the day were actually out to get Jesus. And they eventually do arrest him and have him falsely tried and crucified and such like that. But we're going to save that for Easter, all right, that story. So here it says, it seems that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. Now we read that and go, oh, that's nice. Jerusalem is a 34-hour walk from where they are at right here in Capernaum. So these individuals literally walked 34 hours to get to Capernaum to, again, be around Jesus, not necessarily for, for good reasons, but actually to try to trap him and things like that. goes on to say, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. And I want to stop there, I emphasize the word strongly there, because I wanted to say this, for those of you that are maybe visiting here for the first time, you're a guest with us, Jesus was more than just a good prophet that had a good teaching. He was more than just a person that did good things. The Bible says very clearly that he is and was the son of God, and that guess what? There is power, power, like the song, wonder-working power in the name and the person of Jesus. And guess what? Your life can change not because of a church. Your life can change not because of a sermon or a pastor. Your life can change because of Jesus. Jesus is the one that has the wonder-working supernatural power that can change life. It goes on in verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the, onto the roof and took off some tiles, so literally teared through the roof. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. This story, I love this story. It's one of my favorites. Um, there's some interesting things about this story I want to give you some historical context with so we can understand it a little bit better, all right? Um, back in this day, we look at that this man that was paralyzed, he's most likely disabled from birth. And if you uh, were disabled, in, in, you know, in, in this culture of Jesus' day, it was your family's responsibility to take care of you. And that would make sense, right? Like if a, a uh, you know, parents had a, a, a son or a daughter with what we now call special needs, it was then the parents and the family's responsibility to take care of that son and daughter. But here, here's a little bit of the problem, and that is this, that the 
uh, the rabbis of that day, and these are the people that were like the pastors of the day, they believed, and this is really dark, but they believed that if you had a son or daughter with special needs, that you had sin in your life. That's what they preached. I mean, now, now the room is silent because we're like, well, that is so wrong, right? And it is. I mean, now, 2,000 years later, all the science, all the wisdom, and everything that we've gained over the last 2,000 years, we realize that is, that is an absolutely stupid kind of hypothesis that they had back in the day. But back in the day, the rabbis of that day would actually preach that if you had a relative that was disabled, that you had sin in your life. In another story in John chapter 9, um, the disciples are walking with Jesus along a road, and they come up to a blind man. Now, remember something. The guy is blind, but he can still hear, all right? And the disciples in front of this blind man ask Jesus. They say, is this man blind because of the sin in his life or the sin in his parents' life? I mean, could you get any more offensive? I mean, could the disciples have any lower of an EQ? I mean, they, 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 they literally are oblivious, right? And Jesus looks back at the disciples and says, neither. It is not the sin in him or the sin in his parents that has caused this. In other words, Jesus is creating a new category. He's going against the rabbinic theology, the rabbi theology of that day. He's going, no, 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 that is absolutely wrong. So, going back to our story in Luke, here's a man that is disabled and his whole life and his family's life, his family has been told that it is because of the sin in the parents that he is the way that he is. I mean, this is just incredibly wrong. And I can say that even firsthand as a parent of a child that has special needs. I could not imagine the religious audacity and pride and error in that day as these pastors were saying that. I mean, it's just incredibly offensive. Well, it was hard to have a disabled relative back in that day as it is today. It was financially very difficult. It was socially very difficult. And like this story in Luke, there's no mention here, and I think it's interesting, there's no mention of this man's family anywhere. Like, where is his family? Where are they? It's not even mentioned, but there are these four men that come along. And we're not really sure if these men knew this disabled man. We're not really sure if maybe they were friends or if they were complete strangers. But the scripture says some men. It kind of gives the indication that these are just strangers. Some men carried a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. It's very important that we see that sleeping mat. It means this. This is where the man slept, which denotes he's homeless. He's been completely abandoned by his family. Like his family's supposed to be taking care of him, but he's living on the streets. So where's his relative? He's an outcast, right? He's a total outcast. Now, his family is not mentioned, and if he's sleeping on the streets, historians and theologians will tell you most likely what has happened is this, and it was a common practice in the first century around Jesus' time. The common practice was that if you had a relative that was disabled, 
that you felt shame because society thought that you had sin in your life. Also, on top of that, it was a burden. And so many times what these families would do, and again, this is, this is completely evil, but what they would do is they would actually take and go to a nearby town or a faraway town, and they would, in a sense, abandon the disabled relative, and they would go back home and make up a lie or a story about how that person had died. I mean... I don't know if you can get more evil than that. You know, sometimes in, 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 my, uh, in my profession, people will come up to me and they'll say, you know, human beings, for the most part, we're pretty good people. And I think to myself, are we living in the same world? Because I think we're pretty evil people. I mean, look at what's going on in the Ukraine right now. Look at what's happening around the world. Even outside of that war, look what's happening in the world. Human trafficking, all the different things. Listen, we have sin in our hearts as humans. The Bible says that because of Adam and Eve's fall, that we are now born into sin and left unchecked and without a Savior, we can do really, really despicable things. So most likely this man in Luke has been left in Capernaum. His family has abandoned him. He's by himself. He's homeless. He's sleeping on a mat. Along come four men who say this. You know what? Even though your family has abandoned you, we're going to become your family. We're going to become your new brothers. And what we want to do is we want to introduce you to this person named Jesus who's home. And this Jesus does miracles. In fact, we've heard this, that when blind people go to him, blind people begin to see again. When, when lame people go, they begin to walk. When lepers come to him, he heals them, makes them clean, and they no longer have leprosy. So imagine this, these four men walk up to this man that's on this mat, and they each grab a corner of the mat, right? And they're like, come on, you're coming with us. We're bringing you to Jesus. You ever try to carry somebody on a mat or a towel or a rug before? I mean, it's awkward, right? I mean, we, we kind of think it's almost like Aladdin, where it's like the, the carpet just kind of like does this. No, not at all. I mean, they're carrying him, and in some ways, he probably kind of gets wrapped up a little bit like a burrito, you know? And they're taking him, and they're, you know, walking, and he's probably going, hey, guys, where, where are we going? What are you doing? They're like, we're going to see Jesus. They get to this house, and again, Jesus on the inside, the place is packed. It's full of people in what we now call the living room, probably every other room, outside, peeking in the windows, probably standing in the doorway. I mean, it is packed. I mean, I want you to think like Lollapalooza and you're trying to make it to the, the bathrooms. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, it's like you can't get through. And they get to the house, and especially the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are blocking the way. And I thought about this. I thought, you know, it's the same many times in 2022. Sometimes religion stands in the way of people who need a miracle getting to Jesus. Isn't that true? Religion, man-made traditions, stand in the way. There are people that need a touch of God. They need a miracle, but they can't get there because there's religion and there's these things. I remember years ago in 2007 when Jen and I became the, the, the uh, lead pastors here at City First. Back in that era of kind of uh, American church, um, it was kind of the tradition that people would wear suits and dresses to church every Sunday. Some of you remember this. 
Like, it was the tradition that guys would wear suits with ties and, and, and women would wear nice dresses. And I think that that tradition was actually birthed out of a good heart. Let me tell you where it came from. It came out of this idea that we wear our Sunday best, that was called Sunday best, to worship God. In other words, you're dressing up to go worship God. It was a way of saying, I am valuing this moment, all right? So I don't think there was anything wrong with that tradition, but here is the unintended consequence of that tradition. How about if you don't own a suit? Or how about if you don't have a nice dress? What do you do? You walk into a church, even like this one back in 2007, and everyone is wearing suits except for you. And all of a sudden, that becomes a barrier. These are the things that maybe traditions are, are not so bad, but we want to keep the traditions that actually open the door and create a pathway to Jesus and try to get rid of the traditions that become a barrier. Does that make sense? So over time, I was like, hey, guys, these are the two requirements to come to City First. Back then, it was called another name, Rockford First. But this is, these are the two requirements that you are clothed and you are in your right mind and one out of two ain't bad. That's what I would tell people. And all of a sudden, you can wear whatever you want to church because this is the reason why. I never want people walking into this church and thinking, I don't have the dress or the suit or the attire to match what's going on in the room. Does that make sense? And so I never want that to be a barrier. One of the things at City First that we do also is that we, we talk very uh, much in common language. Like, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, as a pastor, it would be so, so, so much easier to put together sermons that only Christians understand. It would be so much easier. I mean, I could go so deep. I could go into the Greek and the Hebrew, and I can dissect it 27 different ways. I would love that. I could actually get so deep, I could grow this church down to 50 people. <laughs> and every once in a while, I'll get a letter or an email, and people are like, I wish you would go deeper. And always my response is, just like Jesus did, because this is what he did. He took very complex things, like let's call the kingdom of God. That was the number one topic that he preached on, the kingdom of God. How complex is the kingdom of God? Infinitely complex. And he would say the kingdom of God is like a field. And he would tell a parable that people would understand. Why? Because he was talking to farmers and herdsmen and tradesmen and the common people, you could say. So guess what he did? He took things that were super deep. And he said, the kingdom of God is like, and he would make stories for them to understand. Sometimes people will email me, and they'll be like, why don't you just preach verse by verse through the entire New Testament? And I'm like, just like Jesus did? He never did that. In fact, most of his sermons, he never used scripture. I know some of you are like, oh, yeah, I know, that's a different subject. But what he did is he talked about scripture, but he talked it through story and metaphor so that people can understand. So at City First, we've done that. And here's the reason why. It's not because we don't believe in scripture. Hey, listen, I preach from the word of God. The thing is, is this, we are trying to get people and tradition and take religion out of the doorway so that people that need a miracle can walk directly in and meet the person of Jesus Christ. We stand out of the way and we allow them to see Jesus. 
See, these four men, they're not going to stop, man. The, the need is too important. Their new friend needs a touch of Jesus. So this man has probably been told his whole life that he has no value because that's what culture did in that day. But these four men saw that this man was infinitely valuable, that he was treasured, that he was significant, that he had a, a priceless about him, you could say. And so they decided that they were going to do everything they can, like no holds barred. They were going to do whatever they could to get this man to Jesus because he had great value and he had a great need and there was a great God that was in that living room. And so they decided they were going to be bringers. And I want us all to think about that, bringers, bringers, bringers. That's really what we're supposed to be. Do you know anybody at your school, at your workplace, um, where you go to Pilates class or spin class or where your neighborhood is or wherever? Do you know anybody that has great value in God's eyes? Here's the simple answer to that. Yes, you do. Because every person has great value. Do you know anybody that has a great need? Probably, right? Well, guess what? You know a great God. So we need to be bringers, and bringers means that we're just joining Jesus in the work that he is already doing in their lives, because here's some truths, here's some truths. First of all, there are people in your life who need Jesus. You're like, well, okay, you're being Captain Obvious. Yes, I know, but I got to start there, okay? Secondly, Jesus is already working in their life. You don't need to, in a sense, bring Jesus. He's already there. You understand that? He's already there. And lastly, Jesus wants you to partner with him and help. Well, how do you do that? You point out the Jesus that is already working in their life. This week even, I received a DM on Instagram, and, and uh, it was a gal who's like, you know what, I just, I, I know I need to get back in church, and I've just been blowing it off, and I need to do that. That was not Jeremy DeWert or any of my Instagram posts creating that conviction inside of her. That was Jesus. Jesus is already working in her life. So I just responded back. I'm like, then come. <laughs> then join us. We would love to have you. All I had to do was point out the Jesus that is already working in her life and invite her to a place where she could see Jesus very clearly, right? So... You simply and you prayerfully just help them to see Jesus. And some of the easiest ways of doing that is inviting people. Hey, join you when you come to City First or join you online if you're watching online. Hey, say, will you join me online at this time? I'd love to see you in the chat or, or whatever. Create a City First Anywhere location. Again, be a bringer. So these four unnamed men begin to elbow their way through the crowd. And they're not getting very far. There's all these people scowling at them and growling at them and pushing them back and all that. The doorway is jammed. You know, um, bringers are really carriers. And what do I mean by that? Well, when you are bringing somebody, what you're really doing is you're helping to carry their burden. They just went through a divorce. They're financially just stressed. They're having trouble with their kids. Their kids are getting kind of like crazy on them and and, or, or maybe they're having some health concerns. And so by being a bringer, what you're really doing is you're like saying, I'm going to help carry that burden. Like those four men, I'm going to help carry 
this burden of this man who is disabled. And in many ways, that's what Jesus wants us to do, to come alongside of people and not pity them, but help carry them. Does that make sense? And whenever you become a carrier, you're going to encounter obstacles. There's going to be things in your way. There's going to be a heaviness about it. In fact, I notice this about people that are even a part of City First, that their carriers, their posture is different. Like if I had a 200-pound weight up here and I said, hey, listen, I need you to carry this weight from here to there, some of you would be like, I don't know if I can even lift that. But for those of you that could, guess what? You're not just going, do-do-do-do-do, I mean, right? You're like, you're straining. You're hunched over. You're carrying it. Guess what? When you become a carrier of people, it changes the posture of your life. There's a weightiness to it, right? That's why most people, I think, in church don't do it. <laughs> Because they're like, I don't know if I want to put myself through that. But Jesus asks us to be bringers and carriers. And City First, as a church, can I tell you, looks different because we want to be carriers. The biggest barrier to being a carrier, though, is fear. It's fear. I mean, you know, think about this. It's like when, when you try to invite somebody, when you try to bring somebody, when you try to, like you're at work, you're at school, and you're trying to start a conversation, you're going, man, how could I invite this person to city first or in life group or whatever else? Don't you kind of feel nervous? You get that knot in your stomach, right? It's that fear thing that's going on. And, and, and here's what I know, is that sometimes it makes you look a little foolish. And some of us have been foolish this year in all the right ways. Like you invited a friend at school or at work or a neighbor to come and join you at City First or maybe even join you online, right? And, and that morning you woke up and you had a little knot in your stomach, you even text them like, hey, remember, services at whatever time. And, and you're going, oh, God, help them to come, help them to come. And then if you're at a physical location, you went in the lobby and you kind of waited there, right? And you grabbed your little cup of coffee and you're kind of waiting. You're seeing all these people come into the door and you're like, oh, that's not her, that's not him. And you waited and you waited and you waited. You might even text them again. Hey, I'm in the lobby. And they don't text you back. And you're like, oh, no. Service starts. Worship starts going. And you hear the music coming through into the foyer. You're kind of out there. And you're like waiting, waiting. And then all of a sudden you hear my voice. Uh-oh, the sermon has started. And you're waiting. And then all of a sudden it hits you. I've gotten stood up. They blew me off. And you feel a little foolish. Can I, can I just say something? If you've ever done that, I want you to know that Jesus loves that kind of foolishness. He loves that you are willing to get out of your comfort zone, to invite your friend, your family member, your coworker, the student that you share third hour with. I, I just think he, he loves that kind of foolishness. You know, if, if we're going to be a fool, can we be that kind of a fool? <laughs> If we're gonna if we're gonna take a risk, can we take that kind of risk on people? But don't be discouraged. And here's the reason why. Let me use myself as an example here. I was invited, ironically, to this church back before I knew Jesus. I was invited here for over a year. Over and over and over and over again. And I would make promises, oh yeah, I'll show up, and I didn't. Or, oh yeah, I'll be at Life Group, and I didn't show up. And if anything, I was somewhat sarcastic and almost, in a sense, critical of this church. 
And I would make fun of it and all these things. And guess what? Over a period of a year, finally, 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 I came. And that day, Jesus captured my heart, and the rest is history. So let me tell you, even your pastor stood people up. And some of you are like, a year? I stood people up for a decade, right? Aren't you glad that people didn't give up on you? Aren't you glad that people would look, look foolish for you? Aren't you glad that they spent countless, probably minutes and hours cumulatively in the foyer waiting for you to show up, but they kept on inviting you, they kept on loving you, they kept on nudging you? And again, they weren't trying to convince you because Jesus was already working in your life. They didn't have to bring Jesus into your space because he was already there. All they had to do was just give a little nudge. And guess what? At one point, you finally came, and the rest is history. So these four guys, they're like bumping into all this opposition. One of them goes, I got an idea. Let's bring our friend on the roof, and then we're going to dig through the roof, and we'll get some rope, and we'll lower him down. At this point, if you're on the mat, and you're the paralyzed man, you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, right? They get him up on the roof. How did they do that? I want you to think about the trouble they went through to get this man and themselves on a roof. That was not easy, right? And yet, that speaks to the make it happen. At all costs, I need to bring people and carry people to Jesus. Some of us give up way too soon on people. We give up way before Jesus ever gives up on them. In fact, Jesus never gives up on them. But we give up and we say no for them. And guess what? Jesus is like, no, no. Get a little bit of that roof-tearing spirit in you. Get a little bit of that, I'm willing to look foolish and get up on a roof and go to extra lengths and start tearing through the clay, tearing through the straw, tearing through the roof. The roofs were made out of that in that day. And I can imagine Jesus, he's teaching in what we would now call the living room. All of a sudden, dust starts falling and a clump of clay goes, and everybody looks up. And all of a sudden, a little hole, you see these hands start tearing through it. Pretty soon, the hole gets bigger, bigger, bigger. I always think to myself, I can't wait till we get to heaven someday and we can watch the, the video of this, all right? Because I'm, I'm imagining Jesus just stopped. You know what I mean? He just probably just stopped, and everybody is just watching. What is going on right now? All of a sudden, you see four faces peering down. And one goes, okay, Larry, it's big enough. And they start lowering this man on this this mat and right at the feet of Jesus and everybody looks at Jesus going what is he going to do well it says in verse 20 and I think this is just absolutely amazing not what we would expect Jesus says seeing their faith Jesus said to the man young man your sins are forgiven let me go back a minute okay keep that up there seeing their faith plural who's them who are their faith? Who are these people? The four carriers. Okay, this will kind of mess with your theology a little bit. Seeing the faith of the four men, Jesus looked at the paralytic and said, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And I'm not going to go too deep here because I'm going to lose some of you down the rabbit hole, okay? But does this mean that those four men's faith somehow had something to do with that one disabled man's conversion. Wow. 
you, you, let's just, again, keep it at 30,000 feet. Do you mean that when you invite your friend, your coworker, your neighbor, when you invite that person that you're in third hour English with to come to Easter, that your faith counts towards that person's conversion? Wow. What did Jesus do here? I mean, Jesus is forgiving a man his sin, and the man didn't even come for that reason. The man wanted to walk. The man wanted to be physically normal again, or maybe for the first time. But Jesus forgives his sin. In fact, this is interesting. In another gospel in the book of Mark, Mark quotes Jesus as saying this. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Son, do you realize this is the only time in recorded history that Jesus calls someone son? Why? Remember how I told you that most likely he was abandoned by his biological family? See, this man had been abandoned by those that were supposed to love him. These man, this man had been left out on the streets. And Jesus saw this. The man's greatest need was not a physical healing. The man's greatest need was a relational healing. He needed a heavenly father. He needed new spiritual brothers. And today, there might be some of you that are in the same category, or maybe you say, that is my story at City First. That's why we always say at City First, hey, City First family. Some of you are like, going, is that kind of cutesy? Why are you saying that? Well, no, it's because this is the family, the new family that many of us have. Maybe we had a great biological family. Maybe we had a not-so-great biological family. But guess what? We now have a new heavenly father who's a perfect father and a lot of brothers and sisters who are now spiritual brothers and sisters. This man needed a new family. His sins were forgiven. It was Jesus was saying, welcome home. You belong here. You're important. You're loved. And by the way, you're also forgiven. We need more carriers at City First. I'm going on the record as, as the pastor of this place saying, we need more carriers. We need some of you to say, I'm going to be a carrier after today. I'm going to be a bringer. I'm going to be a person. Oh, listen, it's super messy. <laughs> Sometimes it's very heavy. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes you look foolish. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But that's where the miracles are. When we have carriers and bringers, who are going outside the four walls or your four walls of your living room where you're watching right now, and you go outside the four walls and you start bringing people and carrying people to meet Jesus. Jesus is already working in their life. All you got to do is just point them out. And that's when spiritual sons and daughters are welcomed into the family. That's where miracles happen. That's where churches begin to thrive and grow. There are thousands and thousands of people that need a miracle. And I know you need a miracle too. But if you help them receive their miracle, I believe God will give you yours. And in the same way that these four men were involved in the miracle, and the man eventually did get healed, Jesus healed him physically, but first he healed him relationally. And in that same way, those four carriers were a part of that miracle, and their lives were different. Jesus gives us a new life. I can't give anybody a new life, but Jesus can. And I can just point out Jesus, who's already working. That's why I love City First. It's a house of hope. Are we perfect? No. Do we have issues? Yes. Every family does. But guess what? This is a house of hope. 
This is where people find new life. And this is where we become a family and we celebrate God together. This Easter, I want to close with this. This Easter, we have an opportunity to be bringers and carriers. In two weeks, we have a weekend that is designed to first and foremost glorify the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. But secondly, it's designed and our focus is to bring people and carriers so they can know Jesus, be introduced to him, understand who's been working in their hearts the whole time. So I want to encourage us, let's give people rides. Let's meet people in the foyers. Let's invite people to watch parties. Let's invite them into our living room and create a City First Anywhere location. Let's do everything we can. Can we get a little bit of that tear the roof off spirit in us to get creative on how to bring people and to carry people? We even have a location in the metaverse for those of you that like VR. Some of you are like, we do? Yeah, we've had it actually for a few weeks now. We just haven't really announced it. I guess it's the first time I'm announcing it right now. We actually have a metaverse location of City First. And already people have been coming from places like Brazil and New York and Michigan and California into our metaverse location. We are doing everything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. Do you understand that? We are doing everything we can, but you must be a bringer and you must be a carrier. And so in the seat back in front of you, there is a card that I have no idea where I put mine. Somebody hand me a card. <laughs> front seat here. Yeah, thank you. Um, there is a card that says waiting on a miracle. It's in the seat back in front of you. And by the way, if you're watching online right now, go to the bottom of our app and there's a link that will bring up an electronic version of this. And uh, I'll tell you what this is. This is for you to write the name of somebody, just their first name, that you are going to pray and you're going to believe that Easter is a miracle, the greatest miracle, a relational miracle between them and Jesus. You're going to believe for that. And guess what you're going to do? You're like, God, help me to be a bringer and a carrier. You're going to invite them. Maybe you say, hey, I'll meet you at whatever service or I'll meet you online at a certain time. And we are going to pray over these cards. And if you're at a physical location, after you write the name on this, you can go out in the foyer. And on the way out, there are these uh, different areas that you can actually clip this card to. And throughout the week, the pastoral team and the ministry team are going to pray over each and every one of these names. And by the way, if you're online, we're going to pray vicariously for those names too. And we believe that God's going to do miracles. You know what I want you to do? I want you to identify who's on the mat right now of your life. Who's on the mat that you need to become a carrier and a bringer? And then do it. Be willing to look a little foolish. But this is what I know. God is going to do miracles Easter weekend. So on the way out, make sure you do that. Let me pray for you before I dismiss, all right? Everybody, head bowed, eye closed. And you say, my name has to go on that card, if I'm going to be honest, Jer. Because I'm the one that needs a miracle. I and relationally disconnected from Jesus. And today, I just want to say a simple prayer, and I'm going to say it out loud, and you can just repeat it under your breath, and guess what? Jesus has already been working in your life, and he's listening to you right now. But if you want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life, all you got to do is say a little prayer like this. Just say, Jesus, I need a miracle. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for me. I want to live for you. I need a miracle in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
See, some of you did that, and in a moment here, Jen's going to come up and close. But before you leave, make sure you write the name on that card and then remember it. And look for ways that the Holy Spirit gives you to invite them to come to Easter. And then let's just believe. Let's believe that as we, in a sense, tear the roof off the house, that Jesus does a miracle that is all-inclusive, that includes us and includes them. Can you envision right now that friend or that coworker or that fellow student, hands raised, worshiping Jesus? Can you envision that? That's what God wants. He wants sons and daughters to come home, and we get the opportunity to be bringers and carriers.